Hello everyone and thank you so much for joining us on Unbossed. I want to shout out Ray Vanna for holding it down for me the other day. I really do appreciate her. And you know what? I also appreciate you. And can I just give one more appreciation? We have David Dayan with us today, the executive editor of the American Prospect. So glad that he is here today. David, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's going to be fun. Yeah, lots of fun. We're so glad to have you here. And the American Prospect, talk to our viewers about it. How can they subscribe? All of that good stuff. And is there anything that has you peaked right now? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's prospect.org and our latest issue. We we have a, a website, of course, every day we're throwing out the knowledge, but uh, uh, we have a magazine that's in print six times a year. And our latest magazine is about implementing the Biden agenda. You know, when, when we pass a law, everybody sort of walks away. There's a little signing ceremony and everybody forgets that the, there's a second half here. And that's about implementing these laws, making sure that they uh, do what they say they were gonna do. And, and lobbyists certainly try to get in there and make changes and, and uh, you know, uh, fix those laws to their interest. And so we have a, a whole section uh, in our, our newest issue about implementing the Inflation Reduction Act, implementing the infrastructure law, implementing the CHIPS law uh, out there in Ohio. It's a, a big deal with all the uh, jobs that are coming in. Um, so uh, we're excited about that. And uh, we're, we're trying to look in the corners that other media sites uh, won't. Yeah, we're excited too, David, and thank you. I know before we started the show, you were sharing with me that the American Prospect has been a, around for over a little over 30 years. Unbelievable. <laughs> doing uh, yeah, I, I was a youngster when it started out. Yeah, but, yeah, me too. But now uh, it's uh, yeah, good good to uh, have that history, and uh, you know we've been we've been at it trying to. Uh, you know, move the conversation in a progressive direction and tell you about where where power uh, locates itself and, and how to bring it back to the people for, for a long time. Well, you do a great job. I'm certainly, I get the email edition. So I oh, encourage all of the viewers, make sure if you want angles that you don't often see, you should subscribe to the American Prospect. Do that and we're definitely gonna have David on many more times. So on today's show, David and I will cover the new developments in the Tyree Nichols situation. We'll also talk about Brian Cranston. He went head to head with Bill Maher on critical race theory. Yes, that CRT stuff. And later in the show, do George Santos donors even exist? And who is George Santos? I don't know. It turns out they might not exist and turns out hell, we don't even know if that's the man's real name, the dude's real name. Y'all know when I call people dude, but we're gonna jump right into that. And please do not forget to subscribe, to share the stream and send some love in the comments. My absolute two favorite times of the show is when we get a chance to share what some of you are thinking. So do that for me. So Brian Cranston, he speaks out on CRT going head to head with none other than Bill Maher. Take a look. And but for God's sakes, it's time. It's 400 fucking years that we've dealt with this. Oh. And our country still has not taken responsibility or accountability for what? For the history of the systemic racism that's in this country. What should we do more? Well, I mean, for, for one thing, 
uh, critical race theory. I think is essential to be teaching. It depends on what you mean by that. Well, I mean, I mean teaching how the race trade and and racism is systemic in everything we've done in in government in social uh, activities. Yes, it, it has been. I mean, it's 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 embedded in it. It's like Come on, Brian. That's it, baby. It's embedded in the what we call the United States of America. Brian got it absolutely right. And I'm so glad that he laid that down. Now that's Breaking Bad, just in case some of you may not have watched the show, but that's Breaking Bad star Brian Cranston. He laid it down. And let's watch some more of the sparring match. It's not coming from nothing. It's coming from things that have started in colleges mm -hmm. and very far left woke thinking that uh, many people feel is not appropriate in schools. I mean, the same thing with with gender stuff. You know, can they just be kids for a minute? Before? Right. Okay. And 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 that's absolutely. And we have to find that time, that level of maturity when a when a child can understand that at certain times in this country's history, there was a grave mistreatment of other human beings. I think we get that. Well, no, we don't get it. What oh, do we get? Really? It? You think that is not something that is now widely understood and agreed? Yeah, it's definitely not widely understood. That America has a, a sorry racist past? It's talked about and whispered, but they don't whispered. know Whispered? It. Yes. You, it, what, what, the Jim Crow laws? So, but that's so Emancipation Proclamation. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, Bill. But Brian handled that. He really laid it down in a way. And just let me remind the viewers of this show so that you can talk about this with your family, your friends, and your frenemies. Critical race theory is not taught in K through 12 education. You barely get it in college if ever. I mean, undergrads usually don't get that. Critical race theory is primarily taught in law schools. And as Brian was laying out, it really is about the systemic nature of racism and its impact on the system. And those systems are political, they're economic, they're social, they're environmental. And it is embedded in that, for God's sakes. And when you have somebody like Bill Maher, I don't know if that was like his his acting role at that time. Does he think that we get it? No, many of us do not get it. And far too many of us do not want to have the deep seated conversation that would require truth and reconciliation. So Brian hit the nail on the head. And incidentally, it was not 100 years ago. You know, it's always amazing to me how the black community is asked to just forget about what happened in the past. You know why we can't forget about it? Because it still has an impact in the present. But nobody would ask any other culture or racial group to forget about it. How in the heaven are we gonna forget about chattel slavery? How in the world are we gonna forget about Jim Crow and black codes, Jim Crow? How are we gonna forget about that kind of stuff? How are we gonna forget about that in the reconstruction, during the reconstruction of 1877 and beyond? When the reconstruction ended, when the federal troops just left and said, bye, you're on your own black folks, newly newly freed uh, enslaved people. And they allowed the same folks that was running the slave trade to be in control again, which is why the systemic failure still exists. How dare anybody, at black or white, purple, I don't care what color you are, ask black people just to lay that to the side as if it doesn't have an impact on today. But it was not 100 years ago, the Civil Rights Act just passed in 1964. 
And Brian Cranston is exactly right. We need to teach kids about systemic racism. That doesn't mean that you teach them about critical race theory in kindergarten. But they do need to understand that as they matriculate through the education system. Hell, black kids are reminded of it every single day. So David, your your thoughts on the jousting between Bill Maher and Brian Cranston. I mean, interesting that uh, Maher tries to make this point that everybody already knows that uh, racism uh, is is a deep-seated problem in society. We, we, we just went through the last presidential election where 74 million people voted for Donald Trump. Do you, do you really think that uh, we're 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 sort of over this and we we've uh, we've we've laid down some 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 truths uh, that everybody uh, agrees on and understands? We wouldn't be having the freakout on the right that we have currently over CRT critical race theory, which, uh, as you correctly explained, is a, a legal uh, process uh, that is taught in law schools and not in your K through 12. Uh, we wouldn't be having this discussion if if everybody agreed that uh, this is not only a reality but an important part of our history. That is exactly right. And how the right has been able to hold on to this and have so many people convinced, not just people on the right, some people who swing Democratic believe that this stuff is being taught in K through 12, and it is not. You know, someone else made the exact point that that Brian made on CNN the other week, and you may recognize this person. Let's take a look. Like conservatives always want to make a false equivalency. And their goal really is they need to come on and tell the truth. Their goal is to erase or diminish the history of black people and other marginalized populations. Instead, we should be educating, enlightening people, empower people. Let's talk about the structural imbalances in this country and then do something about them. But to say that you don't want these types of curriculum taught in school tells me that you don't want our children to know the truth about America's history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it is an affront to the black community in particular and other marginalized communities in general. Well, there it is, baby, an affront. So all Americans should care whether or not we get in the truth about history, period. And the various histories, there is some good in America's history, no doubt about it. But there is a lot of bad and there's a lot of ugly and we can't change anything unless we face it. You know, one of the great the great novelists, one of the greatest novelists of the 20th century, James Baldwin once said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And so these Republicans and far right people, David, who just wanna ignore the history, let's put CRT aside. I get the feeling that they don't even want black history taught at all. And I'm not talking about critical race theory, just the notion that black history is America's history, and you gotta talk about all the dynamics. I mean, you had Governor DeSanctimonious the other day saying he just wanna talk about the great people. What? <laughs> you know, I don't get yeah. it. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple different things going on here. I mean, the first is that on the part of DeSantis and other conservative politicians, they want to make this claim that your children are being indoctrinated, they're being taught. Uh, a certain set of of guides, guidelines, and standards, and rules, and 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 opinions that aren't yours, and they're they're putting a wedge between you and your children. I mean, that's that's the exploitative kind of political game here. The policy game is to undermine support for public education and to move us into a position where public money is going to private interests in charter schools, in online the online schooling, and other. 
other money making schemes for uh, you know the owners of capital. I, I, I think that it's it's got we got to make clear that that is the real goal here. That there's a it serves a, po- a political aim uh, to to try to drive this wedge, but it serves a policy aim to break the power of teachers unions to break the the ability of uh, the public education system to function. Those are all very good points, David, especially to undermine people's confidence in the public education system right on the money on that. Let's take a look at two quick graphics before we move on to our next story. Systemic racism in the US part one, black K through 12 students are almost four times more likely than white students to get one or more out of school suspensions. Black girls in particular are much more likely to be suspended compared to white girls. While white women earn about 79 cents for every white man's dollar, black women earn 63 cents while Hispanic or Latina women earn 58 cents. Black men earn about 71 cents per dollar. So this is coming from human rights careers. So when people want to act like there is no connection, there is a systemic connection. And that really is what this conversation should be about. Once we understand it, are we as a society going to correct the ills of a system that currently not, 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 you know, we ain't gotta go 100 years, 400 years back. Right. Like currently we have a problem that I don't, I don't get it. They, I mean, the, the math is math in here. Okay, quote Andrew Yang in reverse. And then systemic racism in the US part two, let's take a look at this. 44% of black households own their homes as opposed to over 73%, almost 74% of white householders. Compared to white neighborhoods, similar homes located in black majority neighborhoods are worth 23% less. Leave the graphic up team. I gotta drive this point home. So when we're talking about systems, this is what David and I are talking about. This is an example. And let us not forget, I mean, some of us are old enough to remember the Great Recession of 2008, where black folks who did own homes, who do own homes, lost over, didn't I ask y'all to leave that graphic up? Lost <laughs> over 50%, over 50% of their wealth. And so people for the middle class, the greatest debt, their greatest wealth asset is they also their greatest debt asset. And when they lose the when they lose the value on that, or or from the beginning, even if they don't lose the value, it's not worth as much as the homes of their white sisters and brothers and family and friends. That is a problem and it's systemic. The next point, despite making up just 13% of the US population, black people make up 38% of the population in jails and prisons. So hello, somebody is systemic. And we could do a whole show on this. And we could do a whole show just on this alone. So Absolutely. don't listen to these people like Governor DeSantis, the sanctimonious. Trump got it right on that. Don't listen to people like him because they want to deny the realities of society. And it is wrong for any of us to deny that there are systemic connections to the hell that black people are catching in this country and other marginalized people. There is a connection. We're gonna come back to this. We're not gonna let this go. All right, on to some updates in the Tyree Nichols murder. For black people, there's a double standard. No matter which side of the badge or gun you are on, we are seeing those double standards play out. Let's put up this headline. Tyree Nichols family attorney questions white officers discipline after Nichols death. 
Attorneys for the family of Tyree Nichols demand answers after news that a sixth officer involved in the fatal beating of Nichols has been relieved of his duty, but has not been fired or charged. As a matter of fact, they kept the dude a secret until it came out. So attorneys for the family, let's put this up, of Tyree Nichols, the 29 year old black man fatally beaten by Memphis police following a traffic stop expressed disappointment and frustration with the Memphis Police Department over the news that a sixth officer involved in the stop has been relieved of his duty, but has not been fired or charged. And so the sixth officer, just so everybody knows, we're gonna put up his picture here, is Preston Hemfield, and he is white. We know the five officers are black. And according to the police department, he was relieved of his duties at the same time that the black officers were relieved of their duties. But there were not any really any robust news reports about his involvement in that earlier reporting. And so we got, got people asking why, and especially in the black community asking why. Now, in that time, the other five officers who are all black, we most of us know this already, have been fired and charged with second degree murder among other offenses, which has raised even more questions for the department about its transparency and alludes to the possible racial dynamics in the case. Racial dynamics all around in this case, this is playing out. Now, attorneys for the Nichols family asked, they asked the questions about this disparate treatment. Why was the white officer treated differently than the five black officers? And many in the black community, both in Memphis and nationally, want to know the same things. So the attorneys have said, and this is coming from Ben Crump and another attorney, Antonio, the news today from Memphis officials that Officer Preston Hemfield was reportedly relieved of his duties weeks ago, but not yet terminated or charged is extremely disappointing. Why is his identity and the role he played in Tyree's death just now coming to light? We have asked from the beginning that the Memphis Police Department be transparent with the family and the community. This news seems to indicate that they haven't risen to the occasion. Both the attorneys and David, I think they raise some very good points here. Your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, nobody is saying this to excuse the conduct of the five black officers. Obviously, I mean, that sort of goes without saying, but. To see this double standard come into place and, and to see the lack of transparency, what role did each specific officer play in this incident? Uh, uh, you know, it, it took a while to get the, the, the video out, but can we, can we pinpoint who in the video is doing what? Um, there's, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered here. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what are the circumstances under which these officers were trained in this special? Hotspot unit, this Scorpion unit. Um, you know how, who who was directing that? I mean, the idea that you can only hold the the so-called rogue actors accountable, I think, is is off base. Uh, who who was authorizing this unit to uh, conduct these these kinds of stops? Who was telling them what the rules of conduct were, the rules of engagement were? This this needs to go much further, even than the one white officer who happened to be involved with this. In my view. Sure. No, and and again, it points to what is the culture within the the police department. I think that's what you're getting at, and that people and, and, higher and, up on the on the food chain, so to speak. And it's a culture of impunity. I mean, right. we know this, right? Yeah. Uh, between qualified immunity and the ability for uh, police departments to sort of sever the conduct of individual actors from the culture of the entire agency. Uh, 
you know, the ability for police unions, frankly, to uh, uh, shield the uh, their their officers who who conduct themselves in a poor fashion uh, from from accountability. Uh, you know, we we need to look at all of it. Yeah, no, agreed. And many of the conversations I've been having, I, mean, I was talking to a dear friend of mine today who believes that that accountability, similar to what you just said, that it starts at the top, that the culture starts at the top, what is accepted starts at the top. And if there was zero tolerance for this type of behavior, you would rarely see it, but it's not zero tolerance. And the other point that you make, David, about how police unions, even when it's clear that their officers are wrong, that they're not following protocol, not only are they breaking law, they're not following protocol, they will still defend them to the hilt no matter what. But curious in this case, and again, not excusing what those officers did, all six of them, all six of them have to answer for what they did to this young man and, and, and for him to die behind this, a traffic stop. This type of traffic stop, what we saw should not result in somebody dying. Police officers are supposed to take you in so that you can appear before a judge. It is not their job to be judge, jury, and executioner. But that's what we saw in this case, and we see it far too often. But a point that my dear friend was making is that absolutely, the, the supervisors are responsible. The police chief in ways, everybody at the top of that food chain are responsible for this type of culture. And David, I believe that is gonna come out that this is not the first time that these officers have been involved in something like this. May not have been as brutal, may not have caused somebody to die, but I'm gonna tell you something. Whether they were police officers, nurses, or teachers, if they got this kind of mentality, you know, they've been bad for any profession. Ooh, and and they being kicked out of the black community, period. Because not only it is horrible. No matter what the race or ethnicity of any law enforcement officer for what Tyree had to suffer, it is especially for the black community. And Tyree's mother made mention of this, that they bring shame on the black community. They bring shame on their own family. They kicked out of the damn tribe. They got to go. They really do. This, this, is, this is deplorable, it's unacceptable, it's inhumane what they did to, to, uh, to Nichols. He didn't deserve it, nobody deserves to be treated the way that they treated him. And then to add insult to injury, to find out that some EMTs did not even give this young man medical attention. Really? Oh yeah, that 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 happened. So the Memphis Fire Department announced on Monday that it had terminated two EMTs, emergency medical technicians, and a lieutenant for violating numerous policies and caring for Nichols. Hell, they didn't care for him. And prosecutors are examining whether to bring charges against these employees. Bring the charge. I mean, follow the follow follow the evidence. Let me just say right. that. I'm gonna say that. I want them to follow the evidence. But then, David, the reporting uh, indicates that the lieutenant stayed in the damn car. Hmm. Or in the vehicle, yeah. whatever they were driving. But but the lieutenant stayed in the vehicle. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you said before with uh, the the idea that this wasn't the first time that these officers engaged in, in some kind, of, that's certainly what we saw in the George Floyd case, right? I mean, yes. uh, we saw that with Derek Chauvin, uh, that he had a number of different uh, uh, instances of this. And so, uh, yeah, I think you got to think about the culture here. Yeah, it's the culture and heads need to roll. And some of this is beyond reform, not to say that we shouldn't, but this system, the way it is, it is just untenable, it cannot. And no amount of training, because what these officers did, it's in their nature. See, this is beyond training, not to say, yeah, I want police officers to be trained, no doubt. 
But at a certain point, we got to question people's behavior and be the first, second, or third to say that the way they comported themselves, that's them. And when you got a badge and a gun, you have a higher, you got a higher threshold for how you comport yourself because you do have life and death in your hands. We're gonna continue to cover this story as it unfolds. Things will change. The Scorpion unit has been disbanded, and activists are saying, you know, this is only the beginning. And I do agree, this should only be the beginning. All police departments, all law enforcement agencies need to look at their protocols and what they accept and do not accept. We America, we got a problem. This 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 will happen again because we are not dealing with the deep-seated problem of policing in America. Matter of fact, the legal system itself from the streets. To the courts. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the show. If you missed that first half, you got to go back and watch us when it's posted <laughs> on YouTube. It was really, really hot. Deep seated conversations that we must have if we're going to turn any types of corners in this country deep. So now, you know what I, I want you to do? I want you to become a subscriber. Spin that wheel. You know how you can do that? Yeah, go to tyt.com slash spin, sign up and win up to $100 in prizes when you become a new annual member at tyt.com. We need you to join us, do that. Become an annual TYT member, spin the wheel. And when you get your membership confirmation email, you land on the prize and wait for delivery via the mail. We will try not to use Southwest. Y'all know I can't let Southwest go. <laughs> <laughs> David, I can't let it go, I'm on, I'm on Southwest. And then Rep Rokana, the one and only Ro, yes he is. Rokana, Congressman Rokana will be joining the Young Turks. He will be interviewed by Jink on the conversation. So tune in at 5:30 Eastern Time, Eastern Standard Time, or 2:30 Pacific Standard Time on tyt.com/live. That is sure to be a very good interview. And the watch list. Tune in with J.R. Jackson at the new time starting Monday, February the 6th. You do not want to miss J.R. Jackson in the house. And coming up, tune in to Deep Dive with Jordan Ewell following Unbossed today. Do that for us. Ooh, all kinds of exciting things are happening on TYT. Now to our viewer comments, TYT members first, Finn is canceled. Now Auntie Nina, don't tell them that brother James Baldwin existed. Florida will lose <laughs> their brains. <laughs> you know that's right, right? Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. That that governor don't want to know that James Baldwin existed. You are so right about that. And on Twitch, Raw Bear Nina pulled out the mama voice on that. <laughs> My mom's been gone nearly 15 years, but I felt her. Thank you, Nina. Thank you for that, Nina. Oh, Raw Bear, thanks for sharing that with us. I can relate. I'm in that lost mama club too. My mom's has been gone since 1992. And some days it feels like yesterday, and some days it feels like it's been since 1992. So I can definitely relate to what you were saying. And I'm glad if I brought you some good feels about your mom's memory today. And thanks for sharing that with us, Raw Bear. We appreciate you. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Henry, oh my goodness, Nina, looking divine. Baby, you better say that twice. Thank you so much. <laughs> and then Kaz. Love you, Senator Turner. Keep on doing what you're doing. We are here for you. 
and you are here for us. You better believe that it is a reciprocal relationship. Well, you know how much I love all of you. Thank you so much for your comments. We couldn't get to them all. We'll get to some more in the second half of the show. We appreciate you here on Unboss and we appreciate you on the TYT network. The Santos saga continues. I sigh deeply. Take a look. I'm just struck by the the chaos, confusion, um, dysfunction uh, of the Republican conference. They defended putting him on committees, and now they're announcing that he's not going to serve on a committee. So I just don't I don't understand what the the play of the day is. Uh, we have said from the very beginning that George Santos is not fit to serve uh, on any committees. Um, uh, Republicans defended him initially as they as they announced his committee appointments. Uh, so uh, I'm pleased that they agree with us now. I just don't know if we can trust them, if this is just the decision of the week or if this is the final decision. But clearly, uh, George Santos has some has some issues and concerns, and uh, this is likely the outcome of his meeting with uh, with the speaker. Um, but uh, it's unfortunate when Republicans are put in a position to defend uh, someone who uh, only has a, a passing uh, relationship with the truth. Passing. That's <laughs> he being kind when he says passing. So what you yeah. just watched was House Democratic Chair uh, Representative Pete Aguilar on George Santos uh, stepping down from his uh, committees. And yeah, you heard it right. Embattled Rep George Santos told the House Republicans on Tuesday that he will step down temporarily from his committee assignments amid multiple investigations into his campaign finances after he lied about key aspects of his biography. Now let it be known, George Santos is not the first, he won't be the last member of Congress to tell lies. But baby, when you look up lie in the dictionary, George is right up there in the top five, no doubt about it. And he defrauded the people who voted for him, really. I mean, this is bigger than what Democrats want or what Republicans want in terms of his committee assignments. The man defrauded the people that he ran to serve. That's what this should be really about. The assignments that George Santos was on, just to remind you, just in case, he was on the House Small Business Committee. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Okay, the Space Science and Technology. Committee and Santos told the meeting that he will step down because he's a distraction. You think, George, you should have not take, taken the seat when all the truth started coming out, but that's just me. And a Republican lawmaker put that out there. He spoke on, on terms of being uh, anonymous. So I don't, David, what you want to do with this? <laughs> well, he was on these uh, 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 committees for like two days. I mean, you know, they never had a hearing, they never had a meeting. He, <laughs> You know, he was—he was, he was never part of these uh, of this committee or this Congress. He sits in the back row and nobody talks to him, right? I mean, this is this is his life in Congress. Uh, I guess I guess the pension must have been worth it because it seems like that's all he wanted to do uh, to get there. Yeah, and he's still going to be paid whether he's on committee or not. I mean, remember the Democrats had taken a couple of Republicans off their committee; they still get that hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year whether they're on committees or not. But it was bubbling up though in his community. I mean, people want to see him recall. So I hope that the people of his district yeah. get a chance to have their say about it's, this. It's nice work if you can get it, right? <laughs> yeah. You just sit there, you don't have to do anything, collect a paycheck. There it is, there it is. And Santos is still being investigated for his campaign finances and Mother Jones made some calls. To some of his donors, check out this headline. We tried to call 
the top donors to George Santos's 2020 campaign. Many don't seem to exist. The list of matters to investigate continue to grow. And how much do these fake donors uh, donations account for? So glad you asked. These questionable donations, which account for more than about 30,000 of the 338,000 the Santos campaign raised from individual donors in 2020, have not been previously cited in the media reports. Mother Jones identified them by contacting or trying to contact dozens of the most generous donors to Santos 2020 campaign. And lying like this is extremely illegal. Under federal campaign finance law, it is illegal to donate money using a faith, a false name or the name of someone else. It's called a contribution in the name of another, says Gosh, the director for federal campaign finance reform at the Campaign Legal Center, a nonpartisan watchdog group, is something that is explicitly prohibited under federal law. David. Yeah, this is the important thing that, that comes out of this, this entire episode. Uh, you know, as someone who's, who's run for Congress, what you want to put together uh, a list of people to say that I have support. I have uh, a number of donors that I can go back to over and over again, and, and I, I have the ability to, to raise money from them. So if you are just giving them, you know, here's $50 and I'm going to put it in somebody's fake name, you make it look like you have broader support than you actually have. And uh, this is a way to do two things. Number one, it gets you around campaign finance limits. If that money is actually from a donor who is already maxed out. Uh, and, and, and of course, number two is it, it shows this, this broader uh, uh, range of support than you actually have. This is not the last place that we're going to see this. Uh, uh, you know, we see it in the Santos campaign. Uh, we also see it in uh, what we've uh, seen bubble up with this crypto dude, the uh, Sam Bankman Freed, uh, oh, yeah. has, was also using straw donors uh, to to also get around limits. That was more about getting around limits because it was money that he had that he couldn't give to individual campaigns that he could just give to somebody else who would then hand that money over to a campaign. Uh, so th this is the real important. I mean, Santos' story is is funny, and we all have a laugh. But this is the serious stuff. That this is this is violating campaign finance law. This is uh, 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 creating certain appearances uh, that are not true. And uh, this this is the serious stuff that needs to be rooted out. It does, and many Americans, regardless of where they land on the political spectrum, want to see campaign finance reform happen in the United States. We need these elected officials in Congress to get on the ball here, because they're defying what the American people really want. No surprise there, because the owner donors don't want it, so it probably won't happen. But it is something that the majority of the American people agree on. And during the 2020 campaign, I just want you all to notice Santos reported making about $55,000 a year in salary. Yet in September of 2022, he reported that he made between 3.5 million and 11.5 million from a company he had formed in 2021. Can a sister get that gig? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Now, it's something shady about that, but you know what? If it's legit, please let a sister in on how. Mm -hmm. The hell you did that, George Santos. <laughs> All kinds of stuff are gonna be flying, David. I think other members of Congress should be 
put on notice as well because he's not the only one. It might be his might be a little more egregious because it's lies on top of lies on top of lies on top of damn lies on top of lies on top of lies. This compounding. I mean, every time we turn around, the man is lying. But he is not the only one that comports himself this way. And as you laid out, Sam Bankman Freed, he donated to Republicans using dark money. I mean, this was through his own interview. To your point, he wanted to be able to give as much money as possible. He donated to Democrats, he donated to the current president. He even tiptoed through the tulips in the race that I ran in in the Ohio 11th district. So there are a lot of folks on both sides of the aisle, whether he gave directly or indirectly that Sam Bankman Freed was involved in donating to. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there are uh, these lists of people who are known to be friends of his who <laughs> made very low sums of money in, in their salary who were maxing out donations to all sorts of people. And, and so the question grew, well, where did you get all this money to do max donations to numerous members of Congress? And then the implication is that, well, Sam Bakeman Free gave it to me and then I gave it on and that's illegal. That's right. um, and 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 so you know you have that you have what's going on with Santos where is the money coming from uh, is is are these being put in fake names uh, you know because uh, there's there's some oligarch that is uh, controlling things behind the scenes he did these these uh, purchases at, at at restaurants that all are hundred and ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents there's 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 just a lot of weirdness going on with uh, the way in these campaign finances for Santos are going on and hopefully it does you know trigger a broader inquiry into this uh, this area which of course you know TYT's been at the forefront. Yes, we have, and that's why we can't have nice things because you know elected officials are bought off. I mean, bribery, folks, is legal in the United States of America. It happens under the guise of campaign donations, and if we ever want to have a robust, not just Congress but political system itself, we do need to get big money out of politics so that big money does not have more voice than big mama and big papa around the corner, down the street, around the way. We all should care about that. So President Joe Biden thinks COVID is no longer a big deal. And he asked me asking one of my favorite questions, WTF, neoliberal. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. The Biden administration is planning to end the COVID public health emergency on May 11th. That marks a shift away from responding to the pandemic as a national crisis and instead managing the virus more like a seasonal respiratory disease. The public health and national emergencies have enabled hospitals to respond more flexibly when faced with spikes in patient volume. It has also effectively barred states from withdrawing people from Medicaid. And that is just the beginning of it. This has been a huge issue when it comes to not being able to kick people out of their homes or their apartments right. if they haven't paid the rent or the mortgage. It comes to student loans that have been extended time and time again, basing, based on the idea that we are still in a national emergency. We are still in a national emergency. And you know what? The people who are privileged and live inside the bubble who are not there on the streets talking to people in hoods where they misunderstood rural hoods, urban hoods, suburban hoods. They got the luxury to say, "Oh, I'm just going to pick a timeline and declare stuff over." Now, it is clear that COVID is going to be with us for the foreseeable future, just like the flu. But COVID is not over, and certainly the impact of COVID is not over. My grandmother used to say, "It's easy to jump into the hole than it is to get out." And so, all the people who are suffering because of the impacts of COVID, their lives are not better overnight. 
over several months or even several years. And when you couple that with inflation, with the cost of food, hell, eggs cost more than buying the, the chicken wing itself. What the hell, David? I, I just I don't understand why this president is doing this. And in, in, in the video that we watched, we see how that that journalist, the reporter, rather, she laid out all of the protections that came because of our national response to COVID, and all of that's going to go away. Yeah, that that's that's the key here. I mean, first of all, the the idea that we can pick a date in the future, May 11th, and know that we're not going to have a, a spike in cases or 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 some sort of uh, epidemic uh, that is beyond what uh, you know should be in place for for the national emergency to be closed that that seems fanciful to me the second thing is uh, now the administration has said that the student loan pause will not go away that is a separate order uh, they, 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 that's going to continue until the Supreme Court adjudicates this case where they're trying to block uh, the debt cancellation that has been put in place. Uh, however, uh, it's on Medicaid that actually is the, the, the real danger here. Uh, because of the national emergency, there was this uh, restriction on states from dropping folks from the Medicaid rolls. And if that rolls off, uh, there is a real concern that, that states are going to take action, particularly conservative states, going to take action to, to basically flush out their Medicaid rolls and, and, and put thousands of people in the position of not having health care. That's the real danger here. It is, this is serious business. Again, we are the only industrialized nation on the face of the earth that does not have some type of universal health care. And to catapult, to push people off of Medicaid like that. And that further exacerbates any type of disease we're trying to deal tame. So whether it's COVID, the flu, the fact that people can't get preventative health care, it puts us all in danger. This stuff is madness, it really is. Now lawmakers have refused for months to fulfill the Biden, the Biden administration's request for billions more dollars to extend free COVID vaccinations and testing. And the $1.7 trillion spending package passed last year and signed into law by Biden, put an end to a rule that barred states from kicking people off Medicaid, which we, David and I just discussed, and, and a move that is expected to see millions of people lose their coverage after April the 1st. This is absolutely inhumane. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, companies like Pfizer record shattering. Put up, put up that headline so our family and friends and frenemies can see it or hear it if they're only listening. Pfizer's record shattering 100 billion in revenue denounced as sickening. It is sick and it's immoral. Put simply, Pfizer has plundered health systems for profit, said the People Vaccine Alliance. And you know what? The federal government can do something about this. This does not have to be this way. America, this does not have to be this way. Put up what my stunt double had to say about Pfizer. Pfizer is raising the cost of the taxpayer funded COVID vaccine from $19.50 to $130. We paid for that research. What in the unholy hell? And ending the COVID-19 emergency is pro big pharma, point blank, period. And check out this tweet from Matthew Cortland, a lawyer and a writer. This is what he tweeted, the end of the COVID public health emergency is the kind of news that breaks through to decision makers and HR and disability service services offices. It's going to be even harder now for chronically ill and in, in immuno, immunocompromised Americans 
they're going to tell us it's over, it isn't. Let me just break this down and dress this up for you real simple. People are going to die, that's it. And the fact that we are dealing with policymakers who really don't get this or care and even a president that could do this differently, something is wrong America. And we can't just sit back and take this and we giving you this information, but this is inhumane. All right, we need universal health care in America. So now we ain't got to deal with whether or not a governor gives a care about the people in their state or not. This should not be. This right here, now can we just all agree, this should not be happening in America. But folks, welcome to America. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show. Now, do not forget today, Congressman Ro Connor will join Jenk on the conversation. Tune in for this. You do not want to miss it. It is bound to be a hot, hot, hot interview. Maybe not as hot as Unbossed, but hot, hot enough. <laughs> and the watch list with J.R. Jackson, a new time starting Monday, February the 6th. They'll be live weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. JR shares his take on the stories you should be paying attention to, politics, culture, all that good stuff. So go ahead on and join JR. And right after the show today, deep dive with the one and only Jordan Yule. You do not want to miss it. Now to our comments, TYT members, Bill's Dragon. There's a part of me that thinks the Congress doesn't like Santos because he doesn't come from the same rich lineage as the rest of them. Hmm, Bill's dragging you onto something. He's a grifter from lesser means as opposed to the rest of the Congress grifters of highest means. It's an exclusive club and they don't let anyone in. You know what Bill's grifter, I mean Bill's dragging, you make a very good point. I think you're onto something there. It might be, that might be part of it as well, a class issue. You know what, yeah, no, they, they want their grifters wealthy. I got you, give me something to think about on that and on Twitch. Hogwarts Dragon, Nina, every time I hear you call us beloves, I am filled with love every time. Well, Hogwarts Dragon, thank you so much. And beloves, yes, each and every one of you sending you love, hope and life and light. And thank you so much for joining us and being a part of our show. The Oscar nominations were announced on January the 24th and they're giving off the Oscar so white vibes again. Check out this headline, snub of black performances in 2023 Oscar nods has some declaring hashtag Oscars so white again. A number of critics and columnists were vocal in their critique of the nominations. I'm so glad that they were, especially the snubs of Danielle Deadweiler, who portrayed Mamie Teal Mobley, the mother of Emmett Teal, and Viola Davis for The Woman King. Here's what music critic Britt Julius had to say, twice as hard, half as far. The hashtag Oscars so white playing out like always for Danielle and Viola, shameful. Now, Angela Bassett was nominated for Best Supporting Actress in for her role in The Black Panther. And Brian Tree Henry was nominated for Supporting Actor for the film Causeway, making them the only two black acting nominees 
Lord have mercy. But this is nothing new for the Academy, not nothing new at all. Since the first Academy Awards in 1929, this is the 83rd time Film Academy voters did not nominate a black actress for a lead performance. For black actors, it's the 74th lead performance snub. History repeating itself over and over and over and over and over and over again. Could this be systemic? Mm, maybe. And it wasn't just black actors who were snubbed. Others questioned the snub of the Woman King director Gina Prince by the Wood and the film Nope, which saw critically acclaimed performances from Daniel Coulier and Kiki Palmer and lauded directing and screenwriting from Jordan Peele. There is also the surprise nomination of Andrea Rise Burrow and the lobbying effort by a slate of actresses. Let's put up this headline and then David, I wanna bring you in. Why stars like Jennifer Aniston, Sarah Paul's son and Charlize Theron are backing Andrea Roseburg in to Leslie. And if only they had lobbied that hard for Danielle Deadweiler or Viola Davis, as Philadelphia Magazine editor Ernest Owens points out on Twitter. Let's put up his tweet. So let me get this right. Academy members lobbied hard to get a white actress nominated for a role in a film nobody has seen at the expense of two black actresses who've been critically acclaimed this entire season. White privilege at its finest. Yeah, this isn't right. Hashtag Oscars. Oh, I sigh deeply, David, on this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, the the Riseborough thing is is wild. They, uh, uh, you know, she was, I guess, friends with uh, and and colleagues with a number of, of white actors and actresses, and they they started this campaign, which now they're saying may have been uh, not in in line with the rules of the Academy uh, around lobbying uh, to get her the, uh, the 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 actress role. I will add that. Um, you know, a number of uh, Asian American actresses, uh, actors and actresses did get uh, honored this year. Everything, everywhere, all at once, which is maybe the odds on favorite to win Best Picture, um, uh, was was honored with, I believe, three uh, acting nominations and as well as uh, Hong Chao, who was in The Whale. Um, so, you know, I, I, the the Academy, the, the the voters who actually pick the Oscars has gotten much more diverse in in the, from base relative to the previous years, and that has helped to a certain degree. But uh, it's a, obviously a long road. Yeah, very long road. I'm I'm happy for those other actors and actresses. Cannot though sub in for not uh, nominating black actors and actresses nor directors. And they also chose Avatar Way of the Water for Best Picture, despite the fact <laughs> that the film is has a white saber complex with a, a whitewashed cast. Uh, let's put that up. I got to confess to y'all, I just went to go see the daggone thing in 3D. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You're part of the problem, Nina. I am part of the problem. <laughs> yes, I am. I didn't go on opening weekend. I mean, the movie has been out there for a long time. But uh, uh, yeah, I did. I must confess that. So let's put up this tweet. We live in a world and work in industries that are so aggressively committed to upholding whiteness and per perpetuating an unbiased misogyny toward black women. You better go ahead and, and say that she put it on out there. And yet 
I am forever in gratitude for the greatest lesson of my life, regardless of any challenge or obstacles, I will always have the power to cultivate my own joy. And it is this joy that will continue to be one of my greatest forms of resistance. So, I mean, there we have it. I mean, the, the Oscars have a very long way to go. I just think that old habits die hard and that they're not really willing and able, uh, David, in many ways to do away with their old habits. I mean, they just keep repeating these same things over and over and over and over again. I mean, I remember when Denzel Washington won an Academy, now as accomplished as he is, they gave him one for training day. Now, not the training day, training day was a good movie, but he was betraying a stereotypical role. They didn't give it to him for Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And he was Malcolm X, I mean, he challenged Minister Malcolm X. And it did the same thing for Sister Halle Berry, for Monsters Ball. Love me some Halle Berry, but Monster Ball was ridiculous. <laughs> David, you got 30 seconds, baby, weigh in if you like. <laughs> well, it's it's not like we should expect the Academy Awards to really reflect uh, uh, the, the, the best in film. Uh, the, for, for years and years, we've seen that uh, not be the case. Uh, I think uh, the best way to uh, show that uh, representation matters and that you appreciate and respect the stories told by uh, uh, you know uh, uh, people of color is is to go see them. Yeah, definitely go the go the weekend that the movies are out. You have got to do that. My God, uh, uh, the the Woman King. I mean, I was there. I mean, the day of the day, the day I was there because I wanted to give that nod to the one and only Viola Davis. And can I give another confession? I mean, I watched that movie, or at least try to look at portions of that movie. <laughs> Almost four or five times a week, I'm so in love with that movie. What Viola <laughs> Davis was able to do, and what her supporting cast, and also our amazing director Gina, she did that thing. That is our time, folks. We're gonna revisit this. David and I had to go fast on that, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed the show. I know I enjoyed it. It was so good, if I must say so myself. If I must say so myself, and having David here was absolutely wonderful. But you know what tops all that wonderfulness, you? All of you beloved, so glad that you joined both of us. Cannot wait to have David back again. You know what I want you to do about this time? I want you to keep the faith, always, always keep the faith. And you got to marry that faith, baby, with a whole lot of fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.